Hello and welcome to another edition of Critical Q&A, the show where I answer your questions based on what you've left for me in the comments section below. Uh, this is episode number 138. Whoa, a lot of questions answered so far. Uh, and we are, of course, back to regular format this week. Uh, no live streaming as I've done in the last couple weeks. There has been something I need to talk about real fast before we get into the questions, and this is mainly directed to those of you out there who have generously supported me through Patreon. There have been some tweaks and changes made in uh, Patreon's structure recently, very ill-conceived and not well thought out changes, which apparently the company is now finally uh, conceding that they screwed up in how they decided to roll out this change where they I decided that all creators, it was good for me, but it was not so good for you guys, and I would really like it to go back to the old system. What they decided was that if you, uh, that, that you guys, the supporters, would end up, uh, they converted the service charges for credit card service charges, you know, transfer charges and whatnot, they put that back on you guys. Whereas before, I was eating those charges, and I was okay with that. That was how the structure was set up from day one, and uh, somehow they decided that uh, they would make it so that creators would get only a 5% you know, deduction from the amount that was being pledged to us, uh, and that sounds great, but not at the you know, expense of you guys having to eat the charges. And so what that ended up being was um, how, the, how the math works out on that really is it's bad for the people who are not pledging a lot. If you're pledging you know, $5 or more or something, there's really not much of a hit. But if you are a dollar pledger or $2 pledger, then you're getting, you know, it costs you $1.38 to pledge a dollar uh, to me a month. So, you know, it's not like this is breaking the bank or anything, and I hope that this doesn't adversely affect my support from you guys out there, but I thought I'd have to be a little upfront about explaining what's going on with that in case you were wondering why there was a change. And apparently, I think this started last month, or it's going to be, uh, yeah, I think this, I think is when this is when this started. So, if there were any changes for the supporters out there, that's why. Um, if it's really bad, or if it's really something that you feel you can't deal with, another alternate way of supporting me on this channel is to use PayPal, which can set up an automatic monthly deduction instead of using Patreon. Patreon's great because it gives me the ability to send you guys messages and uh, give you content on Patreon that is not, you know, content that can be gotten elsewhere. I've only done that a couple times. But, uh, but you know, so I prefer Patreon to be used, but of course, uh, I will gladly take any support by any channel necessary, uh, whether it's a regular monthly donation or whether it's a one-off or whatever you guys are, are happy with. Uh, every little bit counts, every little bit helps, and it keeps me going on this channel. But Patreon has definitely been the number one uh, source for me of income, and it's uh, and it really sucks that they decided to roll this out without even consulting with us creators first, and asking us what we thought about that. There was there was zero uh, surveying or feedback requested on this before they rolled this out, and they have only now after a tremendous amount of backlash, they apparently are looking at uh, doing something. I don't know what yet to see about changing this back. So anyway. That is that, and I'm, you know, I'm sorry if this has adversely affected anyone or upset anyone in any way. It wasn't my choice to do it that, that way. 
and um, and I hope you'll understand and have some patience and not you know fly off the handle or anything if you've been supporting me because because uh, your support really does matter and it helps me so uh, to do my job here so all right that all being said let's go ahead and get on with your questions Dylan Ames if Scientologists don't want anything to do with say schizophrenics because they are there to help the able be more able and they discourage drugs for mental problems and they don't like people going to therapists, then what do Scientologists think someone in that situation should do? Well, this is an interesting question. Um, of course, schizophrenia is a very, uh, as I understand it, a pretty open word. It doesn't really specifically mean something precise when it comes to mental health diagnoses and treatment. So it can be, a, this is a little bit of a broad question, but as I understand it, it let's just say somebody comes in who has actual mental issues. Let's put it that way, right? They got a real problem. Uh, Scientology is not interested in that, and the policy in Scientology is to kick them out, right? Uh, if somebody has extensive psychiatric history or uh, extensive psychiatric drugging or, you know, psychotropic drug medication history, then they tend to not want to deal with them at all, and they just kick them to the curb. Now, uh, the other thing is if they are going to take them, if they, if they deem that the person's not a security risk or threat of some kind, uh, and they're not currently actively on psychotropic medications, then Scientology might offer auditing to the person. Uh, the policies on how Scientology has dealt with people who have psychiatric histories has changed over the years. And as far as I understand, the most recent version of those policies state that it's up to the Office of Special Affairs to decide if the person coming in is a security risk of some kind. Uh, and if he's not, then they'll accept the person for auditing, right? I, I need to get the exact issue, I had it in my hands at one point and then I lost it, so I'm trying to get another copy of that so we can talk about that in more detail. Uh, so, kind of a coin toss as to what's gonna happen with the person. Um, you know, if the person's non sequitur, can't run sentences together, is going in and out of out of it, you know, that sort of thing, then they're probably not going to be so interested in in uh, in trying to help this person because of that whole able, you know, helping the able become more able mantra. Uh, but if a person has money and Scientology thinks they can do something for the person, then they'll probably put them on an auditing program of some kind, which is probably going to be pretty heavy on the objective auditing side more so than the subjective processing side, right? So rather than asking questions about things that have happened in the person's past, they'll be doing objective processes, which as I've explained before, are touching the wall and looking around the room and walking around and you know, inside and outside and that sort of thing uh, to try to orient the person in present time, get his attention focused on the here and now rather than the voices in his head or whatever is going on with the person. And I don't, I don't mean to make light of mental illness by saying that. I mean, you know, schizophrenia is this idea of, you know, personalities or voices and that sort of thing. So um, anyway, so in Scientology parlance, uh, they want to get the person into present time. And they're going to use objective processing to do that. And they've got hundreds of processes of, a, of an objective nature to try to accomplish that. So that's, you know, that's probably the, the easiest and most simple answer. Um, but as far as, uh, you know, the other side of that goes, as far as kicking people out, they just kind of, you know, it's not that the Scientologists don't care about the person. They just feel like they can't do anything for the guy. 
And, um, you know, I mean, I, I used, we used to talk about this when I was in the church, you know, and, and in fact, there were even some people who were in Scientology who saw the fact that, you know, mental health institutions or, or psychiatric institutions served a function, they serve a purpose. And if Scientology is just trying to destroy psychiatry and destroy all those mental hospitals, where are those people going to go? You know, sometimes we would talk about that and be like, yeah, we, have, we don't know, you know. There are a few Hubbard advices about setting up mental health institutions rather than using electric shock or brain surgery or the kind of things that were being done in the 50s, which is what Hubbard was down on, right? Transorbital leucotomies, electric shock, lobotomies, that sort of thing. He, he, he railed against those practices, and I can see why. I, I'm not particularly into any of that either. Um, he off he said in in the very in the, where Hubbard did bother to address this he talked in a couple places about setting up rest home type situations where you'd have a place where mentally ill people could sort of roam the grounds be free to just sort of in in a safe place where they were going to be watched I mean it's not like just let them you know nomad around the place without supervision he he kind of described a situation where you would supervise people, but you wouldn't be holding them down, forcing them to do things, um, giving them, he, Hubbard was into vitamins, so, you know, giving them a vitamin regimen, and trying to basically give them a safe space where they could be, and they could chill, and maybe th through that, come to some kind of, you know, reorientation where they could uh, regain some degree of sanity or something. Now, maybe that would work for some people, and maybe that's a total fantasy that it would work for others. And obviously, if a person was psychotically or violently insane, then you wouldn't let them just roam around the grounds or something. I mean, it's, you know, it's not, it's not a, a black and white thing. So, uh, of course, nobody's ever done anything like that. Uh, the, you know, the only people in Scientology who have taken Hubbard up on some of his advices as to what to do with, with insane people have ended up making things 20,000 times worse by doing what Hubbard wrote about years later, which is the introspection rundown, which was what killed Lisa McPherson and has uh, resulted in false imprisonment and uh, other, you know, very bad things. Uh, with other people uh, in, you know, who, where Scientologists have said, yeah, I'll take care of your insane brother or sister or whatever, and then they end up locking them in a little room and trying to force feed them and, and, uh, and force auditing on them. And that's just, that's not, you know, there's just no good that comes out of that ever. So, uh, so that's kind of where it's at, you know what I mean? Uh, and that's the answer to the question. Mark P. Over the past year or so, I have read comments on various sites that say or imply that the highest level of training that is currently available is as a Class 5 auditor. Since the golden age of Tech 2 in 2013, the St. Hill Special Briefing course is no longer offered, and by extension, Class 8 and 9 would not be either. I know Classes 10 through 12 were only offered to Sea Org and not public, so would not expect them to be offered. The question is this. Are class six and up available at all to anyone? How are the L's and OT levels being delivered with so many of the higher trained auditors having died or left the church? Okay, Mark, so this is a fairly advanced question. And if anybody read that question and thought gobbledygook, gobbledygook, blah, 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 
I wouldn't blame you because there's a lot of Scientology advanced training levels being talked about in that question. Uh, I would refer you back to my videos on the grade chart and the, all the training and processing levels that are available in Scientology in order to understand all these high-level things. Now, in order to answer this question, though, I pulled out the latest copy of the Scientology grade chart, which I had somebody send me. And so I can answer the question very precisely because they are currently making um, class uh, 9 auditors, which means that they are able to make class 10, 11, and 12 auditors. And this is all within the Sea Org. This is not for public. Uh, for public, they're screwed. They don't get class 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, or 12. But the public have never been able to do class 9, 10, 11, or 12. Those, are, those have always only been for the Sea Org. So currently, the Class 6 St. Hill Special Briefing course, which is the longest course in Scientology, the most expansive course in Scientology, it teaches everything in Scientology from the level of clear down, like everything that will get a person up to that level, and, um, and a little bit more. Uh, that is no longer being offered right now because they did, the materials for it have not been redone, and, a la Golden Age of Tech 2. And, um, and so the St. Hill level organizations are no longer in the St. Hill special briefing course business. So that's been quite a uh, problem, I'm sure, for those organizations because they're all now just basically class five orgs. Um, but the class nine course, which is the, uh, the, the training level in order to teach someone how to audit OT5, Okay, and the, so the class nine course teaches a person how to audit OT4 and OT5. And they do train Sea Org members on that. And the way you do that is you do the advanced courses review auditor course, which doesn't require you to do the class six. You don't have to be a briefing course graduate in order to do this class nine level. Okay, and then once you're, once you're a class nine, then you are qualified to do 10, 11, and 12. And they have been making new auditors in the Sea Org for those levels so that they can deliver the OT levels and the L rundowns at FLAG uh, without having to have the briefing course. So that's, that's the answer to the question. And like I said, pretty technical stuff. So uh, that's really for our ex-Scientology trained people. Jake, in chapter two of your book, Scientology A to Zenu, you spoke about the security checks you knew were coming when you felt the church was turning on you and stated because of the RPF, you knew how to approach these checks, but you stopped short of saying how. I have to know, was the preparation for security checks a mental preparation or was it a physical act you could perform to make that needle do what you needed it to do? I find this interesting because if it was a mental trick, where did you go mentally? Or if it was a physical act, what could you do or did you do to beat the machine? All right, so you're referring to that time when I was getting uh, my, when I was leaving the Sea Org and I was getting a security check in order to be okayed to go. And uh, that, Beating an e-meter is a, is a, you can do it mentally or you can do it physically. I've seen both. Or you can do both. Uh, and I would not do it physically. I didn't, I didn't do anything like that. But what I did see people do in order to do that was they would sometimes have ways of either messing with their hands or more usually with their feet. They would rub their feet on the ground 
right? And usually when you're on a meter, you have your shoes off. Sometimes you have your shoes and socks off because tight restrictive shoes and stocks, socks or stockings can drive the, the tone arm on the meter, that's a, a dial, one of the dials on the meter, way up and it makes the needle dance around too much and it's too active. So if you take your shoes and socks off, it sort of relieves some of that pressure and the needle calms down a bit. Um, so I saw people who would do this with their feet and you, by doing that very gently and slowly, the meter needle would start doing this. And this is called a floating needle. And it indicates that you've reached the end of a process or the end of a security check question. So, you know, you could do it that way. And, uh, and of course, I know about that because people got busted doing that. It wasn't because they were bragging about how successful they were at beating the e-meter. That's a big no-no in Scientology. Um, another way you can do it though, and, uh, and this is something that, I've, that I, I knew about from early on in Scientology, is to just cast your mind off to thinking about pleasant things. In a security check, you want, you're, you're being interrogated, you're being asked very sharp and pointed questions in an interrogatory style about things you've done that you are, if you have done them and are guilty of them, you're going to be nervous about, you're going to be ooh, anxious about it, right? That's the idea. And by answering the questions, you relieve the nervousness and anxiety because you get the guilt off by saying, you know, confessing what you did. Uh, but if you're not interested in doing that, or if you just feel like the whole thing's a big waste of time, then you're not really in there pitching. And auditing requires that you be in there part of the process and that you be in there pitching and, and, and participating in the activity. So I found that when I was on the RPF for three years, getting a lot of sec checking, that there were plenty of times where I just didn't feel like participating, but I had to be there and I had to get through this thing in order to finish the program. But I knew I didn't have anything to answer to some of these questions. Uh, and so I just wanted to get through it. And so I started casting my mind away to other places. Uh, and, 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 and maybe intensively focusing on those things, like pleasurable experiences that I had had, or things that made me feel good. And sometimes that would work and sometimes it wouldn't. Most of the time it did. Uh, all in the direction, for me, of trying to get that needle to float, okay? Trying to get the needle to do this kind of emotion. And so if I thought about movies I really liked or, you know, I, when I was, you know, married on the RPF, I would think about my wife or, you know, think about things that, would, that I would consider pleasurable experiences um, or fond memories that I had, then I could get that needle to start floating. And that would be the end of that question, and we could move on to another one. And I would, and I would be really intent on it too. You know, I would sit there and I'd just be looking at the auditor, and I'd be, bring it on, man, bring on that question, right? And I'd just have a big smile on my face and let's go, right? And like I said, sometimes it worked, sometimes it didn't, but it worked often enough that it convinced me that the meter was not this see-all, be you know, sort of. Uh, perfect machine that could always read my mind and read my thoughts and I started realizing that maybe this wasn't everything it was cracked up to be. So that's how I did it and that's how I've heard other people have done it too uh, and I hope that answers your question. Victor Lilo, you did a podcast with Yuval Leor where you discussed the possibility that LRH had some sort of epilepsy in his brain. 
you reviewed the symptoms that are involved with a patient with this particular disease. I found this analysis to be most interesting indeed. You have uncovered part of the why with this analysis. Can you offer more insight with regards to the motives of LRH in light of this recent discovery? Yeah, I think Uval was really on to something, and to this day, I still think that uh, he was right, that L. Ron Hubbard suffered from temporal lobe epilepsy, which is a very specific kind of epilepsy that has as uh, one of its symptoms a sort of a religious epiphany or religious uh, fervor that uh, takes over a person. And, um, and it doesn't have to be a pro-religious fervor. It could be, you know, a very anti-religious fervor too. But in Hubbard's case, it uh, sort of, uh, I believe, contributed to his sort of megalomania and, and, his, and his ideas uh, or delusions of grandeur, I guess you could say, where he felt, I really truly believe that Hubbard truly believed that he was meant for huge, gigantic things in this world, and that he had come to realize something that no other person had realized. And, I, and, and according to what we know and have read about his life, he had this religious epiphany, uh, which was the result of an epileptic seizure because of the temporal lobe epilepsy that he suffered from. And, and if we're right about that, right, then um, that created this religious fervor in him. And he wrote Excalibur, or The Dark Sword, as a result of that. And he thought he had nailed something about how people work and how to deal with people and how to handle people and how to control them in a way that he thought was going to be, you know, this book was going to be more popular than the Bible. Uh, this is literally what he said. So, that did not get the reception he thought it should have gotten. Nobody really wanted to publish it. And so he packed it away and brought it back out in 1947 when he, when he wrote uh, what was originally called Scientology, A New Science. What that book became, that manuscript became, Dianetics, The Original Thesis. And that, of course, developed into Dianetics, The Modern Science of Mental Health. And two years later, he trots out the word Scientology again and is bringing out Scientology as a religion, right? And there's and the whole time there's this idea that he's really on to something, you know, that is going to just change the world. And I think he really thought that. At the same time, he was a pathological liar. There's no way he didn't know that. And he was a uh, con man. He was, you know, always uh, out for money, always taking money from people, taking money from things. And he bankrupted Dianetics uh, twice because of his uh, inability to hold on to money. So he had both of these things going. So as far as motivations go, I think he was kind of, you know, I think he was a, a positive and negative polled kind of person. You know, I think he was bouncing back and forth between these like, yeah, I'm going to save the world and I'm the best there is and I'm, I'm the man and I've got the inside knowledge and, and I, you know, and I've got this like amazing uh, knowledge or, you know, have had these epiphanies and I have this inside skinny. And at the same time, you know, money, power, greed, women, you know, like, I think he was bouncing between both of these things. And that, I mean, Jesus, what a, what an existence, right? And he, of course, drank. And, you know, if, if we are to believe all the stories, and he was um, maybe on some drugs as well, over-medicating, that kind of thing. So, uh, so pretty, pretty wild times. 
And somehow he calmed down from that in sometime during the 1950s and got going and put in an organization together that he built up into the Church of Scientology International. And I think that that whole time that he was doing that, his motivations were these two things. I think he was bopping back and forth between both of these things. And um, that's kind of my analysis of Hubbard's thinking, right, is fervent greatness, slam my name into history, be the, you know, the, the, the greatest philosopher and writer of all time, certainly one of the most prolific, uh, and knowingly conning people and knowing that he was leading them down a, a, a garden path, you know, and somehow these two things reconciled in his mind. I don't know how they wouldn't reconcile in mine, but that is how I think he lived his life uh, after Dianetics, and it eventually drove him mad. And I think that TLE was, uh, was, was part of that madness, and uh, that's very unfortunate for him, but, uh, you know, couldn't happen to a nicer guy. Banagore Paladin. I understand that when one is in Scientology, and especially in the Sea Org, one is cut off from regular media half or maybe even most of the time. But doesn't it occur to most Scientologists before then to ask why they've never heard of Scientology in the news apart from sordid stories here and there? Scientology claims that they're doing tremendous and important work all over the world, yet most people haven't even heard of Scientology outside of most westernized countries, if that, and then only bad stories. You never hear about how Scientology is doing really groundbreaking work in charity or in any other venue. You can't claim the same thing about the Catholic Church or Jewish charity groups or the like. You hear about those all the time doing this and that in the news. How do new Scientologists actually resolve this glaring problem? Okay, well the easy and simple answer and the most straightforward one is that Scientology believes in and pushes conspiracy theories. And they believe that the media, the mass media, are all aligned against Scientology and that the mass media are the puppets of governments, big pharma, psychiatry, and uh, other influential business or, uh, you know, big bank, uh, big banker type uh, people. And that the media just, you know, follow along because they're all owned. If you see those charts that show who owns all the, you know, Disney and Fox and, you know, all these organizations and how it's, how it's all like, you know, uh, all the mass media in the world is owned by like six companies or something or 12 companies, uh, Scientologists could dive right into that as a justification for why you don't see any good news about Scientology and mass media outlets. It's because the mass media is only contributing to the downfall of society and the interbulation of society. In other words, they're, they're, they're stirring people up all the time with all that bad news, and they do that on purpose in order to keep society at, you know, in a frantic, anxious, uh, fearful state. That's the media's job, as far as L. Ron Hubbard was concerned, and he talks about this in many, many places. So this is the reason Scientologists feel that they don't see or hear much about Scientology in the news. Uh, that's why at their events, they, they lap that stuff up. You know, they hear about all these great expansion statistics, and, and they see um, local, state, or even sometimes national, federal-level representatives or uh, government officials talking positively about Scientology because they got, 
You know, what the Scientologists don't know is that those government officials were lied to in order to get them to say those things. Uh, Scientologists don't see anything that goes on there. They just hear the person speaking and they go, ooh, we're being accepted by, you know, the teachers union of South Africa or the, the parent teacher association of America or, you know, the state representative for, you know, uh, Louisiana or something is speaking positively about Narconon. Ooh, wow, that's so amazing, the acceptance that we're getting. And they just lap that stuff up because it's the only place where they hear anything positive being said about Scientology in, a, in any kind of a, a non-Scientology format or anything connected with something outside the church. And they just love that stuff. It gives them so much hope. So, uh, so there's a lot of, you, you know, you got you to gotta really understand that w when you get into Scientology and you're into that mindset, you, you want it to believe it. You want to think that this is the, the cat's meow and that people just haven't caught on yet because the good news is being actively suppressed by the dark forces arrayed against Scientology. Okay, they really take that stuff for real. So that's, uh, that's one, that's pretty much the biggest explanation for why. Um, as far as, uh, and I'll also say as far as my own experience goes, I mean, I was in that mindset. I lapped that stuff up. And then I did start wondering, and I did get some internet access, and I did start actually Googling some things. And I couldn't corroborate anything that was being said at the events. And it was, you know, and I was already on the, on the path out when I started doing that because that was, you know, a dono for me to be doing that. That was, that was not... Uh, something a good Scientologist and a good Sea Org member would be doing, uh, but I did it because I was I was curious and I got sick and tired of of seeing the events where all these great things were being announced and yet the places were empty. It didn't make any sense, right? So that was what was putting two and two together for me. Uh, normal Scientologists they just they just don't want to hear it, right? I sat in front of a Scientologist after I had learned the truth of how bad it really was. And after I had gone down the rabbit hole of, of, of truth about L. Ron Hubbard and Scientology, I had a chance to talk to um, the parents of my then fiance, not my, not my current one. Melissa, my current fiance, doesn't have anything to do with Scientology. But when I was back in, in 2013, when I was still in, you know, and trying to make good on, on being a Scientologist, I, uh, you know, the gig was up, it was out that I had been speaking out badly against Scientology and so I was trying to salvage this and, and make good on it and I was sitting with my fiance's parents and I, I, I started to open my mouth to say something about what I had read and I was literally stopped, right, stop. I don't want to hear, her father said, I don't want to hear anything bad about Scientology. And he just didn't want to hear it. And it was very forceful, right? And it left me no choice. I, I was not able to speak my truth at all or tell him anything. And it was so frustrating for me. I had to, oh, I was, it was, it was painful to not be able to tell him the truth. But he did not want to hear it. And it and it really it was really a very educated educated educational moment for me uh, to see how willfully the blinders were on 
to any alternative point of view. So, you know, that's how strong they feel about that. And that's why they don't go look on the internet and won't go look on the internet or to fact check or look for media. And, they, and that's how they justify it. And that's about the best way I know how to explain it. It is time for Flash Answers. Gordon Weir. Does David Miscavige wear a headpiece? Nope. As far as I know, that is 100% his golden locks. Logamug. Is it true that the church won't stop sending you material if they get your contact details unless you threaten legal action? Yep, I've said it many times on this show. Unless you call them up and say, I am literally calling the police or calling a lawyer or I'm going to take legal action against you because you won't stop harassing me, they're going to keep sending you the mail. And that's actually right in their policy letters to do that. Hubbard specifically states that unless you threaten legal, keep you on the mailing list, keep sending you letters, and keep sending you promo. TJB fan. Yes, most Scientology music used to embarrass me when I was in the Sea Org, especially the Space Jazz album and the music album that came later with songs all supposedly written by LRH. The original line and events that promoted the albums was that they were songs that LRH got off the whole track, and certain people would talk about how they could almost remember these hits from long ago. I remember a group of singers who were at the Manor Hotel rehearsing these songs in various languages for international release, and they were horrible sounding. However, there was one video slash song I like a lot. We Stand Tall. I think if someone were to rewrite the lyrics, it could become a big hit. What think you? Dude. <laughs> oh, man. I think I heard We Stand Tall probably something on the order of a thousand times when I was in Scientology. That song has lost any luster, any glow that it ever had. I am so unbelievably sick and tired of We Stand Tall. Uh, I, yeah, I don't ever want to hear it ever, ever. Uh, I did enjoy, though, the Saturday Night Live skit that uh, satirized that, the, the neurology skit. I thought that was awesome. And that's about as far as I, as close as I ever want to get to Scientology music ever again. Okay, folks, that's it for this week. Thank you very much for coming around. Please do consider throwing me some support either through PayPal or join on Patreon or however you feel uh, would be best to support my channel here and support my efforts to bring you more interesting, informative, educational, and entertaining uh, news and information about Scientology, critical thinking, and other the other things that we cover on this channel. Uh, and, by the way, it is uh, tis the season, so consider checking out my merchandise at uh, shop.spreadshirt.com slash chrisshelton, or uh, buying my book on Amazon, Scientology A to Xenu, an insider's guide to what Scientology is really all about. Great Christmas gift. All right, guys. I'll see you guys next week. Bye-bye.